welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, and welcome to episode 58. Hi, Rich. How's your week been? Good, man. It's it's hot in Texas, but uh, lots of stuff going on this week in the Office 365 dev world. Yeah, no joke. We've we've been adding notes to this OneNote page all week, and I've got to say, this is probably the biggest week we've had for quite some time. We needed a show just for the weekly updates almost. <laughs> right? It just goes to show the amount of people that are starting to ramp up or, or just realizing that, you know, as Vesa says, sharing is caring and blogging these things. So, um, no, it's good to see what's going on. I'm wondering if some, I noticed that uh, a few people that I'm friends with, their kids are starting to go back to school and maybe uh, people are starting to get into the normal, you know, out of the summer grind and, and kind of knocking the things rhythm. out. So, yeah. Yeah, us being no children kind of doesn't allow us to kind of have any empathy around people with kids. That's right. I, I don't know that world. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the dev show has been going well. Vesa was on episode four uh, two Wednesdays ago. And uh, this Wednesday, I was actually in the studio with Sonia. It's Tuesday when we're recording the show. Uh, on Monday with um, Amelia, who's an intern that's been working in engineering and has been working on some really neat things around embedding the Excel we call it the wax internally, the the online version of Excel inside web pages, but kind of jerry-rigging it with an add-in already in Excel online in a web page that demonstrates how you can use a, um, an add-in within an Excel spreadsheet. And that was something that she'd worked on in her period here as an intern. So Sonia got her on the show to interview her around that. So definitely check out the dev show from this week because um, it's really interesting to see kind of her perspective on working with Microsoft and working with different teams in engineering. And um, then she demos exactly what she was b- building out. So I just, as I was watching her present, I was like, man, I really wish I lived in America when I finished uni and just kind of got on board here as an intern and, and started my career here. I can think the... The opportunities they give to internships here is just amazing. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, they. It is. I almost feel like a second-class citizen sometimes when I hear, you know, the the cool opportunities they get, and even what I heard like last week or the other week when I was in Seattle, they did like a private uh, Maroon Five concert just for the interns. I mean, it's yeah. it's pretty sick. Yeah, they flew in Adam Levine this band specifically to be at the intern party. So, yeah, they, they look after them. I mean, it's all about retention and getting these guys in straight from uni, right? So I think Microsoft's doing a really good job of, of, of doing that, which is nice. Yep. And then VESA, as we just mentioned, the PMP, they just released the August 2015 release of the Dev Patterns and Practices. And I just got off the community call that um, VESA runs. And they're doing a ton of work to refactor it into different repos now as well. So it makes it a little bit more discoverable. And um, I know this is going to go back through dev.office.com slash PNP and add a bunch more content in there, including there's a ton more guidance around, you know, like if you use list templates, if I use site templates, if I use content types, what are my approaches as I go to SharePoint add-ins? And that stuff's been written with Todd Beginski and being reviewed by all of the guys in the PNP team and some great content there. So if you haven't looked at PNP in a while, I'd highly recommend checking out the link in the show notes to the PNP August 2015 kind of summary roll-up. Yeah, and there's going to be, like like Jeremy said, there's going to be some updates that are happening imminently around kind of some restructuring there. There's been, you know, some people have made complaints that when they clone that repo, 
that it's just gigantic. And so we are looking to separate that in some logical chunks. So maybe there will be the core, there might be some samples. We're even kind of coming up with entirely new repos that are PNP related. So actually, I just published one yesterday um, that's live now that's PNP store. And it's it's taking samples that are or solutions really that use a bunch of different patterns and that are almost store ready to kind of show you how you'd put some of those different scenarios together to deliver a, a need. So there's going to be lots of really cool stuff going on with PNP over the next few months. So definitely stay tuned into all that. Yeah. And then uh, as well as the PNP stuff, the uh, we've had some more updates on the training content this week to a few things like the OneNote APIs and uh, the PowerPoint Word and Excel Office add-ins. We've tweaked those based on some of the new APIs that are coming out available in Office 2016 Preview client right now. And then obviously once that client ships, it'll be in the, the um, gener generally available as well. And I know content publishing are working really hard this month on kind of updating and grokking the documentation one of the big things they're doing is apps to add-ins rename but there's some content shuffling they're doing as well to make it easier to kind of navigate around all that stuff so there's some being some big changes there and then another one that our team's been working on is we finally 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 shipped property manager the hero demo that we've demonstrated that many of the keynotes we've done at build and ignite and tech heads in the past. And this is version two. There's a bunch of new changes in there that like leverage groups API and OneNote API and um, a series of a really kind of neat things. So if you're looking for a full-fledged kind of enterprise-ready demo built sample that's an Aspidon NBC web app and a Cordova mobile device app and a Xamarin app and a native Android, native iOS mobile app. That's a really good chunky hero demo to kind of get hold of. And the setup process is really, really simple. We've got a wizard there that will go and provision all the bits and pieces into the groups and SharePoint that it needs to actually be able to do a demo kind of within like half hour of it running that and just churning away in the background. So it's pretty cool. It's a good one like for people that are interested in maybe picking up a new skill. So um, if you if you are really familiar with .NET and you want to see how to maybe do the exact same thing in um, maybe uh, for native Android in something like Android Studio, you know, these apps, we delivered all the different mobile applications on every platform. And so you can kind of compare and contrast, and it can be, in a lot of ways, a learning tool. So uh, really cool to see all that get a, a big, fresh update and out there. Yeah, and you've shipped a few things this week, too, talking about how busy you are. Yes, yeah, got a, a bunch of new things uh, published this week. So one is there's a, a, a really good sample, and I mentioned it earlier, which is the store PNP repo. Um, we published basically a, an add-in that shows how to connect to Office 365 from an Office add-in. And this deals with a lot of the challenges that you might run into when you do this um, and, and how you might uh, solve those in a in a easy way. And and so this is a pretty complete sample. It's a, it's a male CRM type of sample where it allows you to go and look up a, a sender of an email and uh, pull up additional information, maybe capture some additional information. Um, and it's a pretty common scenario we see. So it, it would be very similar to what you see with like, you know, the LinkedIn add-in or salesforce.com or, you know, some of the popular add-ins that we already have in the store. Uh, this follows a similar pattern. Um, and then a, a couple of other ones is, you know, now that we launched Windows 10 last week and there's, you know, big parties around that, or actually two weeks ago now, I, I published a couple of samples that 
show how to build a Windows 10 universal app that connects to Office 365. And, and with Windows 10, we're introducing kind of a new way to authenticate to Office 365 and get your token. So in the past, we used a uh, web authentication broker, and now we use this new thing called a web provider account manager, something like that. I can't think of it right now, but go check out the samples and um, it definitely makes good use of that. Yeah. And that's been really interesting to see, like, obviously there's a little update for Visual Studio you need to get that to work on Windows 10, but um, it's great that you've reacted that quickly and got those samples out there. Thanks for doing that. And they're available if you go to dev.office.com slash code dash samples, you can just filter by Windows and it'll list all the, the samples that are out there, which is cool. So we've been busy this week, but the community has been very busy as well. One of the first ones which I thought was really exciting was um, Paul Colmsey, who's a uh, he was a colleague of mine in, in the first job I ever had um, after graduating uh, in London when I moved to Australia, a company called Pretzel Logic, where you know I really kind of tore up and, and learned a lot. And he was the IT pro there at the time, kind of keeping all the devs in line and kind of forcing us down this path of kind of not allowing us anywhere near test and pre-prod and production service and uh, we've always kept in touch and he started uh, his own business called Seven Sigma which was mainly around kind of business process management and more of a, a soft skills than it was anything kind of dev but they built this product called Glimmer which was uh, basically integrated with SharePoint and it was uh, to do with mind mapping and problem solving and dialogue mapping and um, they've had a really good run of it in Australia and they've been selling it globally now but an interesting move this week is he's actually open sourced the whole thing. Uh, now, Chris Tomichu is the kind of the main architect around it and the kind of the guy that's deving it all and Paul kind of more from the, the, the dialogue mapping side, although I know Chris does it too. Use actually Node Server as a, a back end to it. So if you look in the GitHub repo, you know, they've shared absolutely everything there and the different compatibilities uh, for SharePoint 2010 and SharePoint 2013. So, again, if you wanted to look at how someone's building something uh, on top of SharePoint, it's a great kind of example there uh, and a use case of, like, in integrating these things with SharePoint and building really cool products. And there's a, in that post, he's got a YouTube video there that explains what Glimmer is and how dialogue mapping and can be facilitated via this, this Glimmer product. And then there was a few others there, Rich. What, what other ones have you come across this week? There's uh, a few. One is uh, I'll, I'll throw out that uh, John Liu, who's a, a really uh, faithful listener to the podcast, um, he had a, what is what I think our, our podcast first. He had a, a really simple little blog post where he um, showed basically building a SharePoint add-in that had that leveraged a webcam and he could use it to capture photos and even update his user profile photo in, in SharePoint. And to me, I thought this was cool for a couple reasons. One is it was a first because he actually wrote the post and kind of outlined it using Sway. Um, and I thought that was pretty creative for someone to actually write a, do a write-up using Sway. And you can actually see the progression that he, he took in, in building it. The other cool thing is that it, to me, this is a really good example of how with our add-in model, you could pretty much do anything that is delivered via web technology. So nowadays that with you know HTML5 I can build you know add-ins that leverage 
you know, the HTML things like being able to access a webcam and be able to look at storage and all those sorts of things. It's a good example of how, you know, you can you can deliver one of these add-ins that has some pretty strong integration into the device itself. So I thought that was a, a pretty cool example by John. Yeah, and John's been good at sharing that stuff as well. Another one that's come up as well is... Um, the Adden Express add-in, uh, he, it's a company that kind of have extensions to Visual Studio and they've been around for a long time and he's kind of documented how they do use their add-in commands uh, within the Visual Studio experience with their NuGet packages and so forth to go and build and call out to the Office 365 API. So it's kind of an alternative way of handling building Office add-ins but using some of the controls they've built directly in to kind of speed up your your development on so in, inside of Visual Studio when you're kind of building inside Outlook or Excel or PowerPoint or Word. So um, a big thanks to those guys for kind of blogging about that and, and highlighting, you know, the power of their add-in extension for Visual Studio there. And then um, Baz Lidgeton, uh, that can't be right. I'm, I'm sorry, Baz. I have zero clue on how to pronounce your last name. But um, he's been blogging up a storm on authentication, whether it be S2S for web application development or claims-based web application with OWIN Federation as the middleware. Uh, but he's doing step-by-step -step on really explaining the lines of code that gets injected into these Visual Studio projects to do OWIN and to handle S2S. And so it's really worth reading that to get a good understanding about the code that's going on rather than kind of letting Visual Studio kind of inject all that code in and not, not have to worry there. It's, it's a bit of a dark art and obviously it's evolved as we've pushed the different updates to Visual Studio in terms of what um, ADL libraries we use to auth into off the 365 APIs. But Baz does a great job there of kind of documenting those things too. Another one I found that was really good is Stefan Eskin. He's kind of becoming one of our, our weekly kind of reoccurring posters, really a uh, really good poster of creating some great content out there. He wrote a, an article on on all you need to know about Azure Active Directory in a few lines. Uh, well, specifically Azure Active Directory applications. And what's cool is he kind of summarizes what we probably have on MSDN across, you know, maybe 20 different pages. So he goes through kind of the purpose of what the applications are, the different protocols you can use with it, the tokens. He goes through things like discovery. What's cool is this will be, I think, I, I really like for him to do a V2 of this um, once we finalize things like the unified API, because what I think this will illustrate is where this is quite a few different things you have to go through and think through. Um, the unified API is going to simplify this a whole bunch. So it kind of eliminates discovery altogether. Um, I don't have to deal with near as many tokens. And so I love that he put together kind of this one pager. It's kind of like a, a, a little, a great little one pager that goes through all the kind of things of, of ADAL and Azure AD applications today. And then hopefully we'll see a similar one maybe uh, once we've updated some of the the new release stuff that we're hoping to do in the near future with the unified API. Yeah, it's definitely a good cheat sheet. And it's something that I take for granted now because I've been talking about it for so long. But when you speak to new people about the APIs and auth, it can get a little bit confusing. And that's a really good kind of way of kind of grokking all that and getting it under your hood. The um, Yuri Berger as well did a cool thing with SharePoint Online with a, a world map list violate, vi violation visualization uh, where... 
he's got a, a world map, but it's driven by SharePoint list data and values. So it's a kind of a it's using this D3.js library, which I have not done anything with. Have you, have you played with that at all, Rich? Oh, you, I've used D3.js everywhere. Love it. Love it. Okay. It's great for visual. In fact, um, Power BI is built on top of that in a lot of ways. Oh, is that right? Yep. I didn't know that. Okay. So, yeah, so he's got this world map visualization that he's done, and um, he's kind of driving off SharePoint list data. So it's a really cool example of kind of having content within a within a SharePoint page using the um, the app part or sorry the web part capabilities there in, in actual case um, to deploy that through so it's another great way of kind of extending SharePoint's UI kind of natively and allowing end users to kind of plot that data into SharePoint lists which is cool yep Another one that um, she's uh, she's also kind of becoming a regular on our, our weekly updates is Cindy Meister. She has a, a good uh, blog post here about the different coercion types in Word. So um, Word is kind of, in general, our, our kind of first JSON model for these Office add-ins. It's pretty consistent, you know, as you move across from Word to Excel to PowerPoint. The one place where we have some kind of really product-specific things today is in Word. Now, some of that's going to change, but today for Word, I have some special coercion types or what we would consider data types. So I have text, I have matrix, I have table, and then there's a few Word-specific ones, which are the open XML and um, HTML. So she has a good post here that talks about those different types of, uh, I'll call them data types. It's a little bit easier, but those coercion types and, and how you work with those within Word. Yeah, and then um, Daniel, like, you've picked all the easy names to pronounce. That's, that's not fair. Daniel Laskowitz, <laughs> who I've met actually, he's, he, when I was in Amsterdam for um, the Office 365 Summits. Actually, you met Daniel as well because you were there. Yep. And he was writing about his experience with the Office Dev PNP PowerShell commandlets. So it's great to see like people sharing their experiences on, on how they're leveraging PNP in their day-to-day -day, day -day uses. And you know, some of the numbers Vesper is throwing out today around downloads of the NuGet packages from the core library that PNP produces. It's well in the 8,000s. Um, so there's a lot of consumption of that PMP stuff, and it really does prove the value in everyone that's involved in PMP. And a big thank you to all those guys for doing that too. And I think we have one more, and this is, um, I'll probably butcher this one, but uh, Vard Hanman Despondi uh, wrote a good post about modifying the regional and language settings with JSOM and, and JavaScript. So, you know, we sometimes take it for granted here in the, in the U.S. It's pretty much English or nothing, um, although that's changing a little bit. But certainly around the world, you know, our Office 365 developers are dealing with many other languages, and this is a good uh, write-up that talks about how to uh, modify those settings when you're using the JSON and JavaScript. Yeah, so big thank you for everyone that's kind of contributed this week to the blogs. If if you feel like you're posting blog posts and you're not uh, hearing us shout them out in the show, please let us know. Um, we encourage you to use the hashtag Office365Dev on Twitter. Uh, we do follow that in all of our you know different Twitter clients we have, and that's how we pick up kind of new content. But um, yeah, definitely ping us on Twitter if you, you feel like you're not you're not getting the exposure you need. And we do see that by doing this, it really helps people to kind of keep up to date what's going on. The uh, I think the Flipboard magazine, where I'm also sharing these links, is now up to about 150. And I must admit, I've actually been running Windows 10 on my MacBook Pro, and the Flipboard app in Windows 10 is 
really slick. I don't know if you've been using that, Rich. Nope, not yet. I use it on my iPad and on my of my iPhone when I'm kind of just sitting around at home. But I got to admit, the Flipboard app is absolutely superb on Windows 10 and probably one of the best Windows 10 apps that, that I'm actually using right now, to be quite honest. Cool. So um, yeah, go and check that out. If you're not a Flipboard guy, it's a great way of consuming um, news in a, in a magazine type format um, from like raw content on the web. Sweet. Well, we've got a really good show this week uh, talking about Office add-ins, so we're going to jump straight in now. But um, if you'd like to be on the show, if there's stuff that you're doing uh, that you think would be useful for other people to hear, um, good and bad, we, we want to be very open with kind of experiences of people working on our platform. Please reach out to us like Paul did this week, and um, we got him on the show over Skype, and um, it was a really good show. So um, I hope you enjoy it, and we'll speak to you next week. Okay, welcome to the show, Paul. Oh, thanks for having me. It's um, good to get you on on Skype. We've got uh, Richard Diz on the call as well, so um, it'd be interesting to kind of delve into what you guys have been doing around the Office 365 uh, dev model. For um, those that haven't heard of you before, where, where are you based, Paul? You... Um, so we're based in Washington, D.C. Uh, we have an office right downtown. Um, we've been here for... Uh... Several years. It's a great part of the country. We love it here. And what's the weather like down there? Because Seattle's having a bit of a boom right now. Are you guys getting pretty good weather down there, or are you more kind of... You know, D.C., it's built on a swamp. Um, it Actually, the last couple of days haven't been too bad, but um, it's uh, it's it's been balmy. Um, you know, we, we have a uh, tennis tournament here during the summer, uh, the city the city open, and it's just a tradition. Whenever the, the tennis players come in, it gets all nice and balmy. It adds a little extra challenge to the tennis players as they play. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Well, I I think the the times I've been down there when I used to live in New York, the climate's very similar to New York, but maybe just not not as humid. Because uh, New York can get really humid at times. I'll take balmy, man. It's like 106 degrees, which is 41 Celsius here. <laughs> it's ridiculous in Texas. So I'll take some balmy any day. Yeah, yeah that's your own fault, though. It's true. It's true. It is pretty nutty down there. Hey, and we've got the summits down there it's coming soon as well, Rich. So I think I'm going to come down and check it out. Do it. See your part of the woods. Yep. So, um, Paul, where do you work? Are you, have you um, do you work for a software company down there, or SI, or what's your go there? Yeah. So you know, essentially, you know, we, we uh, I work for a actually a spinoff of a of a what what I've been a larger company. Uh, so I work for a company called Efficiency Next. Uh, we do a lot of consulting with nonprofits and some you know health companies in the DC area. Uh, we kind of how we got into SharePoint was actually we were part of a kind of a larger parent company called LimeLeap that did a lot of SharePoint products. So that's kind of how we got into the SharePoint realm. But uh, yeah, at this point, we're, you know, purely a software company. We um, we have our own internal platform that we base a lot of our solutions off of Efficiency Spring. And, you know, really as, uh, you know, we always look at stuff to integrate into. And we've really, all a lot of our clients are moving on to Office 365. You know, for, for those that aren't, we're, you know, heavily guiding them onto it. Um, just the value that gets that's delivered is, is you know, yeah. I, I you know, of course, I remember when SharePoint used to be a very expensive thing to deploy on any level, uh, at least with the capabilities that you know SharePoint Online has. And now it's just you get it, which is which is fantastic for for our clients. So I mean, my work as a consultant is goes kind of back more to Australia than it does in in um, when I was in New York. But as a consultant, do you find with the government agencies that they're you know they're still on the older versions of SharePoint, or like you just mentioned Office three six five? So you're seeing a bit of a, a trend there that people are moving away from SharePoint Server for this stuff? Well, you know, the interesting thing about DC, and, you know, don't worry, there's tons of government contracts, but there's also a lot of, like, nonprofits that actually receive government grants to essentially in, in, execute, initiate programs on, on a variety, on behalf of a variety of people. So, you know, we work with one that uh, manages uh, 
government employment of elderly citizens. And what we find with these uh, nonprofits is they, they can be more further along on the technology track. Uh, you know, they, they can be running Office 2013. It's true. Once you step into the government, you know, you, you do see like a lot of Office 2010, um, you know, SharePoint 2010. Uh, same thing with the medical fields. You know, you st- you, we still, you know, we have, a, we have a very large client that is, you know, still on SharePoint 2010 and probably will be... Uh, We'll probably move to 2013 in a couple of years, but you're absolutely right. As uh, directing the government, it, it, there there can be a little bit of a lag. And um, with with that, like the work that you're doing, like you've obviously come from you said from a SharePoint point of view with Tharm Solutions, but when did you kind of make the switch over to kind of the SharePoint added model, and what kind of inspired you to do that? Well, you know, what was interesting is you know when we were, when during my work at LimeLeap, you know they we, they have a product uh, you know called Pistachio. It's it's this you know add-in for it. We went to the SharePoint uh, 2012 conference, and I was one of the developers that was tasked to actually, you know, go to the sessions. So that was, you know, really a great deal, you know, wonderful conference. And um, at the time, you know, I, we were SharePoint focused, so I really went to the SharePoint uh, app uh, events. Uh, primarily, you know, I, I've, you know, I've been a traditional developer as well as a SharePoint developer, and really, this seemed to be. This the app technology really, in my opinion, it just enables a lot more development technologies to get into into SharePoint. Um, you know, the idea that you know, you're running on a separate server, that you can really have, you know, there's isolation between libraries. You know, you can certainly integrate stuff directly into SharePoint through web parts, but, you know, you're limited as to the technologies you can bring to the table when you're, like, directly in there where, you know, the, the separation is, is very handy. So, I mean, I, I immediately got involved uh, writing some custom classes. I wrote a class called um, Theme Helper for, you know, apps that might have a uh, greater permissions into SharePoint that downloads the theme colors and then, you know, you can essentially take a style sheet you already have and add in SharePoint's colors. So, you know, if you're not ready to take the leap and really redo your styles around the SharePoint, you know, style guides, you can still get the colors and the the appropriate themes in there. As well as token, a uh, rebuild of Token Helper to be instantiatable, so you could have one website that could host uh, multiple apps as opposed to kind of a, a one-to-one ratio you see. And so around the time of our spinoff, when we became Efficiency Next, you know, we kind of, you know, sort of like Microsoft has this new, fo- this new wonderful focus on productivity, um, we, we really kind of refocused around efficiency. And a lot of our clients, they just live and breathe Office, um, particularly Outlook, particularly Excel. A lot of smart analysis goes on in there. And, you know, we, we took a look at the, uh, the Office model again, particularly as we got onto um, MSDN. You know, we, we got, you know, better MSDN licensing when we spun off. And... It was just very clear to us. You know, we can save lots of keystrokes. Um, you know, we, we work with really busy, smart people, and um, the ability to really streamline their workflows in Excel and Outlook just became very appealing. So, so we jumped right in. And and so with, with that, with the Office add-ins, like obviously, you know, being 2013 in Windows Desktop or you know in the browser, have you had much pushback from customers on that, or have you been finding that people are willing to? upgrade their clients to the latest to kind of mitigate the fact that those these add-ins only work in those in 2013 or you know soon very soon 2016 as well that's a great question i mean what i would say is we've i think it has the conversation has to be part of the overall office 365 strategy that you sell to to clients and you know on the one hand there's a tremendous cost savings of office 365 you know you save you know clearly on mail administrator costs you save on a variety of aspects and so part of the conversation is really saying, well, look, we'll train your staff on this new stuff. You know, you really, as the software shifts underneath them, you know, they're, you do need to support them. The clients that we work with, I mean, fortunately, you know, I mean, they're, you know, they, they work, do a lot of public space work, but they have been, 
you know, maybe, it's, maybe it's we, we particularly choose our clients well, but you know, they've been very good about adopting the latest technology, and they really understand the value that the latest one brings. So, at, at least you know, for the for the hundred seat and under crowd, we just haven't really had any resistance to uh, you know just using the latest Microsoft tech. Hey, Paul, you know, it's interesting you coming from a, a SharePoint development background. I think you know, if we look at kind of the general Office three sixty five developer ecosystem, a lot of, a lot, I would say maybe 80 to 90% have the same kind of background. What maybe you've you mentioned kind of it clicking that, you know, your, your customers were spending time in office. How was it as a developer uh, transitioning to doing office development versus SharePoint development. Well, you know, you know, the funny thing is, is um, you know, I mean, I, uh, I, I go, I date, but I'm dating myself a little bit, but I go back to the VB6 development time period. You know, I certainly did a certain amount of VBA work. Um, we do have some clients where we still instantiate Office uh, objects, you know, inside of .NET code, and you know, there, there, that certainly has its place and aspects. You know, there's definitely some power there that that model doesn't, you know, immediately have. But you know, we, we know our way around Office and. You know, I, I think, you know, the transition hasn't been bad. You know, if you know JavaScript, the, you know, the API that lets you engage the different object models, it's been very straightforward for us. You know, essentially, the, you know, the asynchronization of how you uh, paste uh, data in and out. I mean, you know, we certainly wanted, it to, you know, it took a little time for us to really understand the difference between, you know, pasting a matrix versus table data, which allows for formatting. Um, but it, it was a fairly easy transition. You know, anyone really with HTML or JavaScript can, I mean, they can really just jump in and... You know, there's you know, there's a lot of flexibility when you look at the documentation. You know, it, it you know, you can either host this on a private app catalog, you know, in Office 365, but you can also have these apps on a network share. You know, if you really have more of an older school environment, where maybe the desktop applications are newer, but maybe the infrastructure is a little older. You know, there's a lot of flexibility to bring that in. You've mentioned a few of the different clients, but has there been? You know, we see the Outlook is the most popular add-in surface to go and extend, followed by Excel. Is that the same kind of things you're seeing with your government customers there, or is it a bit different? Uh, yes, no, I, I would say so. I mean, I, I think maybe, and this just might come to the natural context that Outlook already brings, um, a lot of your workflows, you know, it's, it's defined by who you're talking to at the very moment, and just the email address in your from or your to field can dictate a lot of what, of the value that an app can bring to the equation. Like, uh, you know, if you get a request from, you know, a, one of your government contacts, for a report they often ask for, um, the app can understand that. It can be like, oh, well, this, this uh, user has is access, accesses this report. They have security to access these uh, data points in the report. So we're going to run that report on the server side, assemble it as HTML, and then just cut and paste it directly. Into, it just automatically put it into the Outlook email that you're about to send. Wow, really? Yeah, That's it, pretty cool. It, it, it really is. I mean, and, you know, you, you, and then the, the multiplicity aspect of that is kind of neat because, you know, so we have a selector where you say, we'll do it for this year. And then it's like, well, we, it would be hot tough to do this under the solution. We can say, well, why don't we just press enter, enter, and then just cut and paste the, the version of the report from a year ago so they can see the change. So there's all this, it's, it's interesting how these apps can really flow together. You know, you can have multiple ones installed um, at the same time. Uh, we see this in Outlook, but also in Excel, where you might use an app to plug uh, Excel information, but then you load another app to see the context of that in other areas. Um, but no, I mean, I think Outlook is, what our client, one of our clients told us is like, of all the technology we'd shown them really in the last five, six years, this was like the one that was, this is the first time they've really felt excited in a long time. I mean, they, they, they 
they're very busy people and uh you know anything that can save them keystrokes or you know let them expand without having to you know recruit or you know it, it radically expand the headcount is, is is great for them i was just about to say i'm loving this saving keystrokes phrase I'm, i think i'm gonna kind of steal that from you paul because um, it is so true, the, the the big scenario that we've seen when we did the demos is things that used to be done where you'd be in a different context within a browser or some other client and copying and paste that back into your office client, whether it be Outlook, Excel, Word, PowerPoint, etc., definitely does save a lot of time and a lot of mouse clicks as well. And that, that scenario with reporting is really neat in the sense of you know, you're pulling data from reporting systems and actually just injecting it directly into the mail heading to answer someone's questions. Uh, there's a lot of that compilation of report data that takes a long time that you've, you know, obviously you've simplified by having a, a task pane in there, which is neat. Yeah, no, it, it's really, I mean, saving, you know, we're, we're always busy here in DC. So anytime we could save keystrokes, I mean, on the escalators, you know, we tell tourists to stand on one side of the escalator because you have people who are always walking down on the other side of it. So, um, you know, we, the, the, the workers walk down the escalators, the tourists ride down. Um, we're, we're always busy here. So saving keystrokes is always a good thing. Paul, you mentioned um, when you were kind of describing that scenario, going and looking up really complex entitlements, like, you know, top secret or very secure things someone has access to. How are you dealing with some of the things like identity and being able to do those types of role-based like lookups um, in, in the add-ins? Well, you know, I mean, the neat thing here is, is that, you know, if you're integrating with an existing system, there's probably already you know, a user mechanism in place to do a lot of that filtering. Certainly, as we've built systems for our clients over the last decade, they've been web-based. We've had role-based security built in. And at a lot of our clients, you know, just you know, you know, generally speaking, clients don't like multiple logins, you know, single sign-on. A lot of our clients are naturally on Windows authentication or, you know, some flavor of that. And, you know, in you can, through group policy, uh, you can automatically set which sites are considered intranets, which sites are considered trusted. And this provides an automatic authentication so long as the user's on the domain. And that automatically works with um, Office apps. You know, we if they're running Outlook on domain or they're running Excel or Word on domain, we don't need to put them through an extra login mechanism. And you know, we'll you know the the, the standard Windows authentication credentials reach the server side code, and we can process security there just like we would if they had logged into a web portal. So uh, yes, I mean, and that that really is that really is great for security as well. You know, the the, the less less you have users entering passwords on screen, you know, the more the more secure it can be. Um, the one caveat to this, and you know, again, we, this is something I, mean, I might be jumping the gun a little bit with regard to frameworks and such. That works great if you're if you're if you're using authentication against the web page that uh, against the server that actually hosts your app page. If you're, you know, accessing an external web resource and you're using jQuery, for instance, you know, Windows authentication. If you're using that, uh, I think NTLM. It's you know, there, it's a challenge system. So you know, the, even if you're even if you're even if you have the rights, there's always going to be a back and forth ping. And so for those, we implemented a token system. So you know, we'll we'll authenticate into the central system. It'll contact any systems that need to be contacted with a token, and then we'll f pass that back through the app. So then we can rig anonymous web services where we use tokens instead of Windows authentication for that. So that was kind of a I gotcha thing. That only really took us a day to figure out, but um, you know that that really only comes into play where you have like multiple different systems that one app might be accessing. That pattern of using. Um, Windows authentication in an add-in. Um, I, I don't know that there's a lot of documentation out there about that, but that's 
that's a pretty clever way. I've seen a few people do it in SharePoint add-ins where they're doing like an on-premises deployment of, of a, a SharePoint add-in. But I think that's a, that's a pretty cool pattern that um, works great for some of these, you know, internally developed side-loaded type of applications um, and add-ins. So uh, that's, that's really cool. I'd like to see us get some, maybe a, a sample out there that, that kind of shows that pattern. No, absolutely. I'd love, I'd love to get that in place. I mean, it really, I mean, and the nice thing is, is that even if, you know, let's say they're upgrading to Office 2013, but I mean, they can be running SharePoint 2010 against Windows authentication. And, and you know, certainly, I mean, there's other claims authentication that might not work completely right with. But, you know, if you're using Windows authentication and you have your browser able to automatically authenticate, if that if that is in place on the network, I mean, you can... You know, you can have a, a layouts page and you, I mean, you can have an ASPX page in a SharePoint 2010 layouts folder that can provide the back end. You know, de- you don't necessarily need to be on 2013, albeit, of course, that's that would be, of course, the best way to go. Or, you know, and likewise for separate web applications where you can control the authentication. What I would say, and this the thing about Microsoft is that you guys put out a lot of great solutions and sometimes they're not necessarily you know, connected in the same marketing pitch or the same product category, you know, Windows authentication being somewhat of a server technology um, in Windows, Office 365 and apps being kind of in the Office catalog. But, you know, you, you pair these two together and no, there's a lot of, there is a tremendous amount of possibility to really exact a lot of new value out of existing systems that have been deployed. So essentially, because we're iframing a web page into an Office client or into the, you know, whether it's in a desktop client or the Win. Uh, the web browser, you're just running the web server that's running the HTML with Windows or Thorn. Is that something naturally that means on a you're on a case by case basis when you deploy these things to customers? But are you building one off solutions for each customer, or, or is, are you building products that you will deploy to multiple customers? Well, you know that that's a great question. So you know internally we have a, a tool set we've built called Efficiency Spring. You know it lets us scan SQL Server structures or SQL Azure structures and automatically generate you know, the add, edit, view, search result screens, you know, essentially uh, configurable uh, DBMS, I, I'd say. You know, decent rules, capabilities for hiding and showing fields. So there, there's some neat things in there. Um, and pretty much all of our clients are based on that tech. So that really, that it's been a platform we've been building for the last uh, 12 years. We've, we have just, you know, about 100 of these things out there. And so really, you know, there's all sorts of, we've always had these ex- external integration points and really adding Office 365 capability, you know, instead of outputting to, you know, a server-side generated Excel report, being able to have just another Office 365 and the, and the Office apps as a, you know, just a first-class integration solution, it's very doable. So we do a lot of the plumbing um, as standard. So, you know, we're putting app support in on our platform just as a standard feature. So for any database interface you spin up, that'll just automatically be available. You can run a query in the task pane and get it to show up in Excel. For this one particular client I was talking about, there's just, there's a lot of logic in government employment programs. <laughs> so we, we, we've certainly written custom reports. And, you know, we've always followed the model of having a, uh, you know, having the data of a report stored in memory, having a separate query hit SQL Server in. We've had models for importing and exporting XML so we can cache the data so it can be stored. So, you know, outside of just an Excel sheet, we can store, well, here's what the data was as of is. So having a separate function to say, well, instead of just Outputting HTML, output a table data, uh, output table data or data matrix. It, it was a really natural extension for us. So you know, I, I'd say to and from. You know, we have we have a, a product that we use um, where this is going to be a first class capability. And uh, but we also do a lot of one-off work for for clients that need something more custom. Sure. And then you know, w- with your deployment, obviously, 
because of the customizations you're doing to the, the nature of that website that is the add-in that gets iframed. Are you how are you deploying this to your customers? What's your main flow there? No, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, really there is, um, I'd say with an app, of course, there's a couple parts. And actually, one thing I really like about the deployment is, uh, you know, once you get the app file deployed. Um, so there, there's two methods. I'll, I'll backtrack. So if you're, of course, if you're running, you know, Excel, Word, um, or I believe even, even Access now, you know, if it's an Office 365 customer, and right now, pretty much this is, we're exclusively doing this with them. We'll spin up an app catalog. We will um, publish the app there. And then we'll use group policy in their Active Directory, if it's available, to automatically have that trusted catalog show up in their Office 2013 setup. At worst case scenario, we go to staff member to staff member and we do it, and you know, it's like you know a two minute interaction. It's it's not bad. It actually lets us demo the apps to them, so it's you know it's just a quick uh, quick interaction that way. But um, you know, group policy lets us to uh, have the have the catalog trusted immediately for outlook it's it's a little different they're on all on outlook office 365 that's administrated through uh, office 365 exchange administration and uh, you know it depends on the situation sometimes we'll have the app show up immediately and they can't turn it off other times we'll do kind of a soft launch and deploy it but have it off by default and then we'll you know we'll kind of gate the customers into it and let them know the app is there you know the ones who are really industrious will just find it and you know that's great um but it kind of lets us have a phased rollout when you can push an app out but not necessarily tell the client immediately it's there and then of course there's two other aspects of it you know you need to deploy the app file um the actual aspx page that um you know, we're a .NET house, of course, this could be PHP, but, you know, for us, it's ASPX. You need know, to deploy the web page that actually feeds the app. It's HTML. And then any matching services on any of the other sites. It's interesting because essentially for this one client, we have kind of a central reporting site. And it's one of its main jobs is to network into a bunch of the other systems. And so, you know, what the app does is it... You know the, the the central system instructs the app how to connect to those individual systems for like retrieving things, and it's the app itself that actually compiles all the output. So yeah, so I mean, generally speaking, we have to phase in you know the web services, which we can we can deploy usually before the app. Then we get the app file up there for us to toast, and then yes, you know we we uh, deploy it to their private catalog, or in the case of Exchange, you know the the Exchange app store. Or I should say the Exchange app private catalog. So in kind of the, the sideloading scenario here, you know, one of the, the questions I, I get from developers a lot that have a, a deep developer background is some of the, I guess, ALM uh, approaches for this. So what have you guys done as you've done more and more with these add-ins in terms of, you know, has everything kind of been in uh, one primary environment or are you guys dealing with having, you know, maybe a, a separate like dev tenant that you kind of develop things in and, and kind of move it forward? What's kind of been the ALM setup for um, your add-in development? No, that's a great question. So, I mean, we, we are, you know, we're on Office 365 ourselves. Um, you know, uh, I would say for any partners who might not be certified, who don't have the Microsoft Action Pack, you know, you're not paying attention, you know, get the Action Pack, it's great. Um, you know, so, you know, we have our five base licenses covered, and of course we've extended it to our additional staff. So you know, we're, we're off, we live and breathe Office 365 ourselves. So we do have a development environment locally here that's separate of uh, NOW of our uh, client setups. And so yes, you know, we generally speaking, will this is where Visual Studio comes into play. Is you know, you there's very tight integration between you know running uh, the app locally. You know, you run local host. It actually can debug the JavaScript. You know, as you troubleshoot. And uh, so we can do a lot ourselves. We do publish 
to our own development server, so we don't just do localhost either. And then we're ready. You know, you use the publish feature in Visual Studio, and you really just, you know, what that really does, obviously, is it just takes the the localhost or the development URL, and you plug in the production URL, and then you know you, you publish that out to the private app catalogs. So definitely having you know a separate development environment is smart. I would say we, with some of our clients, who have more leeway in that we can kind of deploy the apps to their environment and just not tell users about them and just make sure they work right. You know, we'll certainly make sure the security aspects are 100% done before we push them out there. But if it's a matter of kind of more UI and user experience, you know, we can kind of, you know, once we actually can put it on their data, then we can get kind of get a better sense of, you know, how things should flow. And then once you guys have these deployed, what's kind of been the, um, I know Jeremy asked a little bit around some of the client things, but where do you guys, um, you know, is is it primarily the Office client where these are being used, Office Online? Are you guys have any interest in kind of where we're going with these add-ins running on other types of versions of Office, so like Office on iPad? Uh, what's kind of been the experience there? We work with a lot of smart clients, and, and what, what you find in smart clients is there's a lot of different mindsets in them, and you definitely have some in, that are very you know the, the the fat clients are what's efficient for them. It's what they know, and they really don't they, they don't want to hear about Office on iPad or you know the web clients. We have others that really look at the light inside the same client who look at the lightweight outlook um, environment just on the web and you know are, are very much into you know what what will be available on tablets and smartphones down the line and they, they even if there's not maybe maybe if they haven't procured that equipment yet they understand the future investment and you know in a way it's a hedge of look if you're going to invest a lot of time and effort building office applications you want to hedge against the idea that really the primary device category and support environment might really be the mobile devices you know if you can help it you know you you know if you can help it you probably should be using this and not vba um because vba does not translate to i don't believe that it translates to the new you know modern uh, office apps or the uh, the web or you know really it really is just a windows specific tech so you're really hedge, you're placing a good hedge against the future when you build these add-ins, and there are some clients in the in the organizations that understand those, even if they're not immediately using it at the moment. You know, obviously this new model has been around for a few years now, and we're we're progressively releasing new APIs into the Office JS kind of framework, which you call via that JavaScript you're running on those pages inside the iframes. Have there been anything so far where you've kind of hit the wall, where you've not been able to do what you wanted to do inside Outlook or Excel or those add-ins that you've been building for your customers? Well, you know, I'll say that I'll put a caveat that, you know, we're still, we're still learning about it, you know, as, as we've been build, building it. So I, I might say something one-off that actually there's a solution for. Yeah. Probably the biggest one, and this is a Windows authentication scenario, and, you know, this is where we had to do the token thing, is that Windows authentication works great in Internet Explorer, of course, you know, but when you want to hit another resource, you know, that's where that challenge system kind of blocks you from from really grabbing and grabbing things from other servers. So you know certainly you know a home a, a cooked method of allowing authentication Windows authentication to other servers would be kind of neat. Of course you know there's also the I think there's a header you have to do on the external service to allow for the connection, you know cross-site scripting. I think actually being able to and I, this might exist but I think the ability to like actually like have Excel have an app actually open up another sheet, populate it, and then, you know, open up email and just automatically send it, things like that. Um, you know, there are some clients, you know, and this is kind of where we have to, on our end, we've been managing expectations of this is really about enhancing a, what, what's still somewhat of a manual workflow. You know, you're, you know, you're still driving Outlook. This is making it very easy to get information into it and to make sure the context you're getting in are correct. I think there's definitely a... Um, 
a desire to say, hey, this could replace SQL Server reporting services. Or this could replace, you know, this company called Aspos, they make great office generation components. This could replace full file generation or bulk file generation. And, you know, we do tell them, oh, this, this isn't what that framework is about. Um, we do notice, and this is what we have not played in yet, is that I believe the Outlook API really has access to the full mailbox, not just a specific um, email. So we're definitely interested in the analytics that could come out of that or the learning scenarios that could come out of that. But, I mean, generally we've been able to manage expectations. And we've marketed this as a an efficiency enhancer and not necessarily a replacement for a full-blown, you know, reporting platform. So in, in scenarios where the the JSON model might be limiting, have you have you found yourself, and, and one of the interesting things is, you know, our templates for building these add-ins, they, they spit out just like these static HTML files and JavaScript files, but, you know, a lot of people are surprised that you can write server-side code with these. So you could have that backed by an ASPX page or an MVC view or a PHP page. Have you guys find yourselves reverting to having to do something server-side? Maybe that's open XML or, or something like that. Have you found kind of building these hybrid apps that have more of a, a dynamic back end to them? Well, you know, the, the funny thing is, and you know, there's this, and this is kind of, I don't know if guilty here, I haven't installed Visual Studio 2015 yet, and we have to kind of move our whole development team onto it, you know, uniformly, but we're on 2013, so if this is this, if this is different, I, I apologize, but I mean, I, I think just when you set up a project, you know, there's this assumption that it's a one-to-one relationship between the app and the website, and, you know, the first thing we do when we create an app project is we delete the separate web project because you know what we have is we have a, we have a enterprise system that it, that's our solution and then we might have 10 app projects right next to it and they point at the local host of the pre-existing web project and what's really neat is that in these app projects if you point them to the web project it'll automatically modify any existing project with those dependencies so there's actually if you dig there's a lot of support for taking an existing web project and adding the, all the necessary hookins that you need for apps. So you know we, you know, just because you know we, we we've you know we, we're programmers outside of the apps, and you know, we, we you know certainly we've done a lot of web development. You know, the, one of the first things we thought of was, well, no, th- these should be server side pages, and so that's that's largely how we approach them. Albeit, as a general rule, and you know, the, the, when I, and this is largely we usually use jQuery for this. Is once the app is loaded. We don't do page by page refreshes. You know, we find that not to be elegant. You know, certainly we use JSON for the back and forth, or, or on occasion even just HTML back and forth. You know, we'll query the server, it'll return some HTML, and you know, we'll plug it into the task pane. So we we certainly are about AJAX and about JSON once the app is loaded. But um, you know, I mean, we, we just never we didn't see a strong reason to adhere to the idea that you know uh, you had to have a static web project be a one-to-one match with a uh, app project. Cool. What about, um, I guess I'll ask you kind of an interesting question since uh, Jeremy's online here. He has a lot more pool than I do at Microsoft, but if you had to, um, <laughs> if you had to give like your, like one wish list thing for the office JSON model, what would it be? So this isn't technology. So if you, if you, if you give me another one after this, um, one would be honestly just, uh, you know, doing this custom side-by-side development, you know, the cost per user is, is definitely higher than if you're building a product that you hope a million people use. It's a different business model. And so, of course, we have to convince our, our, our customers that, no, this model is going to be around for a while. And one thing that's jump-started our ability to do this was to be able to point to Office 2016 and say, look, 
yes, they've changed the name, but these are going to be supported. So yes, you can feel comfortable investing in this technology. A declaration from Microsoft saying this technology is going to be supported for the next 10 years would be fantastic. It would let us go in front of executives and say, this is the next generation of uh, productivity. And, you know, it's, there's a commitment. Even down the line, you know, in the event, you know, that maybe the feature is folded behind the scenes a little bit in favor of something newer. Um, you know, group policy being able to surface it in newer versions of Office, just having that assurance that it'll be around for us. I mean, we're satisfied with the 2016 support that it will be, and we're actively selling it. But I think you'd get a lot of more developers off the bench with really a saying, this will be in the next five versions of Office, you know, something like that. Moving to the technology aspect, OneNote integration would be fantastic. And I think it would help boost the boost the platform too. You know, the one thing I love about Windows 10 is OneNote is a first class application. You task that you you swipe the the notification um, panel and one of the default icons is to open up OneNote and start taking notes. So th- that's a really great surface to to have apps supported on. And I, I there's just any number of scenarios for mixing data there. Beyond that, okay, I guess um and this is uh this works in eight in Word um the ability to plug uh, to richly paste information into powerpoint you know uh, the the idea you know we have a lot of executives who are just pumping out slides the ability to reach in enterprise systems and just put richly formatted tables and images on PowerPoint would just be phenomenal. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry, you gave me one and I just went on a ramp. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I mean, you're, <laughs> I gave you one, you gave me three. So we'll, um, Jeremy, work on that, buddy. I, well, the good news is the OneNote one is actually on the way. And we've talked about this at Build that that that'll be coming. So it's really neat to... Um, see that as a request like i love i live in one note we do so much work together on this podcast in one note um i know other shows use things like evernote but it's a similar construct but i think that having office add-ins be able to be injected into the page it's a huge addition to a one note page you know i mean i you know I, I kind of view like excel as kind of the utility knife for structured information and you know me, me and my wife use it to keep score and scrabble um one note is really where a lot of our unstructured information goes and we need to take a quick note or do grocery lists or anything like that and of course this translates to work as well so no i mean i i'm, I'm very happy to see it really promoted in windows 10 it's just a front-facing feature i haven't had time to play of sway yet i'm interested it almost feels a little bit like a cousin of a. Uh, of that, but uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to get to get knowledgeable there as well. Yeah, integration into Sway, a lot of that to the list. It looks really cool. I, I've seen a lot of cool Sways. I just haven't had a chance to produce one myself yet. We actually had our first. Um, we have a one of our our blog posts of the week uh, that we're uh, we go through at the beginning of these shows was actually written in Sway. It was the it's the first for us, but uh, I thought that was pretty neat. Someone uh, getting creative with how they're getting some of the technical information out to the field. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, it's, um, you know, I think it just went into the general availability. So yeah, I'm, I'm planning to, uh, you know, we, we do presentations for clients. At some point, I'm going to uh, not do a PowerPoint and do a Sway and really, because uh, of course, you know, Office 365 customers, it's good to be able to, our, our clients are on Office 365, it's good to be able to advise them on things. So uh, no, I mean, it, it looks, it, it, look, it looks like a very compelling app and, you know, I'm, you know, I uh, and I will say, I mean, the one thing about the app model is also just you know this new idea of Office 365 being on multiple platforms. You know, just executives carry iPads, and the ability to run an app on that on Office 365 is just great. You know, it lets us extend there, and likewise with OneNote or anything else. Um, you know, it's uh, I'm really happy to see the the family of Office products really expand. Uh, you know, I, I'm a Windows guy. I have a Windows phone. I have a Windows tablet. I have a Surface Pro, but. Um, you know, I, I will say it's, it's nice to see the support on, on just the variety of devices out there. Cool. Well, I really appreciate you jumping on this and, um, you know, 
pushing the, you know, what you've been doing with those clients down in, in Washington. It's interesting to see, especially from that kind of Windows authentication approach and the fact you're seeing that value prop of the um, saving the keystrokes there. And uh, we'll, we'll certainly get you back on the show. Definitely, I'd love to get your feedback on the, uh, the these new APIs we'll be shipping soon with Word and Excel with the release of Office 2016. And also, you know, as we go through and release things like the OneNote add-ins, it'd be great to see what scenarios you can get out there from those those government customers as well. So a big thank you for kind of taking the initiative to reach out to me on. I think it was Twitter you reached out to me on. It, it was. You were like publishing all this great content on, you know, uh, creating Office apps. And I was like, hey, we've, we've done we've done great stuff too. And so it's it's a, it's a the power of social media. You know, it's, it's great, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I'd love to come on anytime. Absolutely. I mean. And how's the best way to get in touch with you? I, your Twitter handle is napcats, which is at N-A-P-K-A-T-Z. Or Z, depending on where you are in the world. Yep, personally, that's the best way to get in touch. Um, you know, we're we working on a new Efficiency Next website. It, it feels, it, admittedly, it's a little cookie cutterish now. We have our branding on it, but we, we're still working to get our messaging on it. Um, and we, we, I plan to get a personal blog on that once we've uh, put the investment in there. But I, I'd say for now, absolutely, Twitter is absolutely the best way to reach me. Great. Excellent. We'll definitely get back on the show and a big thanks for jumping on. And uh, Rich, thanks for jumping on as well and getting the questions out on, on this. We have a funny system on Skype for Business where we post emoji icons to designate when we have questions. So us laughing halfway through is because we were both trying to jump in and ask questions at the same time. But um, the emoji icons, which icon are you in Skype for Business, Rich? I'm the ninja. Yeah. And so he stole a ninja first. And actually, I was quite surprised how many Modi icons there are on Skype for Business, but I'm the open brackets, bandit, close brackets, which I think is just way better than a ninja that disappears. Well, it's, it's kind of a ninja. It's like a ninja head, but mine's a full ninja with a sword. You can't beat a ninja with a sword. Yeah, it's true. Maybe, yeah, but I'm kind of like poking my head out of the floor and, you know, checking around and then hiding again. Like, I'm totally going to steal something from you. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks again, Paul, and uh, we'll get you on the show soon. Great. Love to be back. And yeah, th- thanks very much uh, for having me. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding.